Hey guys, Avery Carl from the Short Term Shop here. I wanted to welcome you into our 10 episode deep dive on the Outer Banks and Carolina Beach, but also to let you know that we have some supplemental materials to this on our website for you guys. It's called the shorttermshop.com. And there we have a section where you can look at properties in these markets, see what the current purchase prices are. You can set it up to save a search for you and email you anytime a new property in those markets in your price range comes out. We also have the AirDNA data, thanks to our friends over at AirDNA for this market. So you can use those two things to analyze. We've got a calculator for you there too, to help tie it all together. And if you guys are ready to maybe start talking to an agent in this market, you can email us at agents at the shorttermshop.com and we will connect you to our expert agents in this market. Or maybe you're not ready to do that, but you just want to hang out with us more. And that's cool because we want to hang out with you too. And we have a Facebook community where you can do that. It's called Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth, same title as my book. And it's just a community of 60,000 of our closest friends who are sharing best practices and just kind of hanging out with other real estate investors. So it's pretty cool. And we hope to see you over there. And last but not least, if you have questions, you want to talk to a real person like myself, it will be myself actually and Luke. Uh, we have an open office hours every Thursday, and you can sign up for that at strquestions.com. And you can ask us any questions that you have about short-term rental investing. But now we'll get to the episode. Short-term show, special episodes. We're in the beaches of North Carolina. Uh, we've got two expert real estate agents. We also have a very wonderful guest on today's show, which is uh, Bob, the home inspector. Uh, looking forward to speaking to him and getting some inside information on uh, on the inspection process. But uh, guys, uh, Meg and Joe, let's just jump right in. Let's talk about negotiating uh, the terms of a contract and the contract process, something that I personally, uh, I, I only know about from the buy side. So it's great to get some expert uh, opinions on the subject. And let's just start with uh, earnest money. Uh, what kind of, and again, uh, before we did get into this, Let's also mention this is extremely market specific. We, we all know that the market has changed drastically in two different directions in the past, in, in the course of about three years. So, um, uh, keep that in mind, but, uh, and, and feel free to mention that, you know, where are we today versus where we were, where we think we're going to go? But let's start with earnest money. Uh, Joe, what are you looking at for a standard earnest amount? Is it refundable? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, that, that is a great question and very packed for North Carolina. So we've got um, actually two different types of earnest money. We've got earnest money and we've got due diligence. And due diligence is non-refundable earnest money that goes directly to the seller so that we have the opportunity to do inspections. It's backwards to a lot of the rest of the country of where you're going to pay up front. It's kind of pay to play money, basically, of where we can back out of a contract for any reason but we're going to lose that due diligence money no matter what. And earnest money is much more traditional. It goes to the attorney. It sits in there um, until the end of our due diligence period, which it's still going to stay with the attorney in an account. But after that point in time, if you back out the contract, that money would also be forfeited. And so this is one thing that I love to hit on is that, in especially in North Carolina, the most valuable thing that your agent is going to do for you is the negotiating across the board. And we're able to do that because we're playing with real money here. It's not like we're playing with um, refundable money 100% of the time. And all of those different amounts are um, negotiable as well. And so you technically can put none, but 
the uh, the process can most agents are expecting it across the board. And so, um, Meg, it's kind of the overview. But anything I left out? Yeah, I want to touch a little bit more on that due diligence fee. Um, so, like Joe said, that is an amount of money. It is sent directly to the seller, and that is a really great point in your negotiations, especially if you find yourself in a multi-offer situation, because it's it's almost kind of a sense of not just your pay to play, but you're kind of bribing that seller to accept your offer over others. And it's completely subjective to the situation. So if you're looking at a house that's been on the market for like 140 days, you're not going to put up that much cash as you would, and it doesn't have any other offers as you would for a multi-offer situation. Um, that house has been on the market for less than a week. Um, I've seen that due diligence fee anywhere from $1,000 to $50,000. It's also going to represent the buyer's confidence that they're going to get to selling because it is non-refundable. You're basically saying, I'm willing to give up this much money upfront. This is how confident I am. We're going to get to selling it to the closing. And the reason is because that amount, you do get it back when you do get to closing. It goes towards your down payment. So it's not lost. It's not out of your pocket and is just vaporizes. It does get to be used towards your down payment, which is which is a really nice incentive for the seller, but also for the buyer. Um, so they've already kind of gotten through that that first step of of um of of starting getting into the program, paying paying in, buying in. What a great point. And uh you don't pay that just by making the offer. You only pay that when the offer is accepted. Just so everyone knows. I get that question all the time. But um you're so right, Meg. It's so individual to the specific situation of the house that's getting sold, of how long it's been on the market, of um, are, are there multiple offers? How strong do you want your offer to feel? Um, there's there's a ton that goes into it. Yes, uh, it's it's a little overwhelming to be honest. I think that, to my knowledge, is North Carolina is the only uh, state that has that. Um, and uh, but it once you get a little deeper, it does seem to get uh, uh, more simple and, and, and in some ways might you know be even uh, more beneficial than than other states. Um, let's talk furniture. Um, oh, go ahead, Meg. Me, I want to backpedal again real quickly on the earnest money deposit. Joe, I'm not sure what, um, you know, because we're in the state of North Carolina, we're, it's Joe and I share the same contract. It's the exact same offer to purchase. Um, here on the other banks, you know, you're going to see a 1% earnest money um deposit made. We are not a title state. So you will have a closing attorney, a, a real estate closing attorney that will hold that earnest money deposit in escrow. Um, and again, once you get through, once you've defined what your due diligence period will be, if you get past that expiration, you can still terminate, but you do lose both your due diligence fee and your earnest money deposit. So there are a couple different stages there um, with how that works, but usually we earnest money is 1% here. Yeah. And in my market, it's similar. It, earnest money, no one really cares as much about it. And so I typically tell people to do half of the due diligence, but um, yeah, things like that. 1% is a great rule in general, just from a uh, budgeting standpoint. Okay, great. Well, now that we're uh, knee deep in the uh, offer process, uh, what what do we do with the uh, furniture? Because again, vacation town. A lot of times, these things come furnished. How does that work on the contract, or is it not on the contract? It's a little bit touchy. It so in the listing, it will say, um, you know, there there will be, you know, is furniture available, and sometimes it'll be yes, no, or partial. Um, often, when it is a, someone the seller's primary home, they're selling, they're taking their things with them. You're gonna you're gonna take over a house, and and most all of the furnishings are gonna be taken with them. 
we do a separate bill of sale here that is for $1. Um, and it basically, when that bill of sale is created, it is conveying all of the furniture. It's kind of a separate document. Um, it's not really a part of the, I mean, it is part of the offer. It's going to be part of the, you know, the documentation that you're going to submit with your offer to the list agent. Um, but it's, it's not super complicated. You know, you, it, it, most things will often convey here. Mm-hmm. Exact same here is we put it on a separate bill of sale. We normally put the appliances and whatnot on the official contract. <clears throat> but if we put like tons of furniture and whatnot, um, it's going to get kicked back. So um, we put all that on a separate bill of sale. Exact same way Meg does it. All right. Um, disclosure, seller disclosures. Uh, what do they have to disclose? Um, and, uh, you know, how does that look on, on, uh, on the contract? Yeah. So, um, sellers are required to, um, submit a residential property disclosure as well as a mineral oil and gas rights disclosure. And, um, the problem with the residential property disclosure, it's not really a problem is they have the option to select no representation all the way down. And so, um, they can select to say nothing about the property, which, directly affects how we want to negotiate it. If they're not going to disclose anything about the property, typically we're going to go in, at least with my clients, with less due diligence funds um, just because it's not refundable. And so um, all that then is going to be for us to discover if there is anything on the inspection report. But they are um, required to submit them, but um, they can check yes, no, or no representation. If they put yes, they typically put information on there or no, they'll write some notes and whatnot for us. But it's a pretty long document. I mean, it's what, three pages now, Meg? Yeah, I think it's three or four. It's, it's, it is a long document. Lots of initialing. <laughs> I think there's one right. signature and you initial like every page. Yeah, it's Is it lot. common for folks to fill a lot of that stuff out or would you say most people are not? A lot of people will fill out like the most common things, roof, HVAC, like things that they know. Um, but over, especially if you're dealing with someone who's running either as a investment property or a second home, they're not there. So they don't necessarily know what's um, there as well. And so a lot of times we see a lot of no representation, at least on our market. Um, here on the other banks, I mean, I would say 98% of the time they're writing that they're not going to put any representation in there at all. So it, it becomes incumbent upon your local agent to hire a fantastic home inspector to go through the house and find these things. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit when we get to Bob. But, um, you know, it really does fall on the buyer to to do the investigation and hire someone great to go through that house and, and see if there are issues there that need to be um you know, fleshed out. Two things I want to cover there. Number one, uh, are they, uh, do you find that most of the time they're not filling those things out because they're quite frankly, they're probably out of state and maybe just don't even know that much about a house. And then my second question is, uh, is there a different disclosure if it's a primary home versus if it is a rental property? We, so we don't have separate disclosures based on the type of homeownership. Um, here. Um, I don't, I think that they, my guess would be that folks who are selling, they're just going to not claim any liability. They're going to say, you know, d- either don't know or not saying that's kind of, that's your job to, to, to find those, to find those issues if there are any. Joe, do you find that as deep as we are into real estate investing and as knowledgeable as we are and our clients are, et cetera, that we're asking too much of the average Joe homeowner to even know a lot of that stuff? Ooh, 
now that's a great question. Um, cause like my, my personal opinion on it is like, you should know more yeah. about your own property, but, um, from like a representing someone buying a place, um, I'm all, we're always approaching it as they're hiding everything from us. And we're here mm-hmm. to find all of it out because, um, that's the only reason that they wouldn't check all that in my opinion is we're hiding something and we're, we're going to trust, but verify if I'm going in with a client. And so that is my entire mindset behind it is like, Hey, like from what I can see and how it's obviously operating, typically operating as a short-term rental already, like these systems are working, but, um, we're going to go over it with a fine tooth comb. All right, Joe, I'm going to stay with you and let's talk contingencies. What are the contingencies of a contract? Uh, what do you, uh, do you like to use all of them? Do you uh, lift some of them in order to get the deal? Um, are you doing, are you changing that now that the market's changing and, and, and all that kind of stuff? Great question because contingencies in our state are pretty much non-existent. Um, we don't have a financing contingency. We don't have an inspection contingency. Um, we don't have an appraisal gap addendum. We have none of that. We are all um, the due diligence state. So all of our negotiating is balanced on um, the due diligence fee. And so if we do have an appraisal gap, for example, um, let's say like we went in um, $100,000 over ask because it was a multiple offer situation. There was tons of people beating the doors down and it doesn't appraise. Um, We can back out for any reason, but we're going to lose that due diligence money. And so that's where the due diligence really is your highest negotiating factor in North Carolina is it's, it's your pay to play money. And so um, you can back out for any reason. So we really don't have any contingencies. Which really kind of makes sense. You know, you got a financing contingency in almost every other state. And it seems to me your way is better really, because it's like, well, dude, it's, you should know whether or not you could get that financing. And it's not my fault that you couldn't get that financing. So you need to give me that earnest money. It's very similar to what happens in commercial real estate is really what we're talking about here. There's earnest deposits, et cetera. And, and, uh, there's usually going to be a date on the contract as to when the earnest money goes hard when you're buying commercial real estate, uh, apartments and mobile homes and anything more than one to four family, of course. Um, so, uh, it sounds like North Carolina just kind of, uh, you know, took that, that commercial principle and, 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 uh, applied it to residential, which, uh, works great in my brain. It's, you know, if I'm selling a house and you can't get financing, why, why the hell should I pull this thing off the market for three weeks for free? That's not cool. You know? Um, so it's, but it is, it is different than anywhere else, you know? So, uh, if you're looking for that last line of defense, whoops, I couldn't get a loan. That's not going to happen here at all. Meg, is that the, is that the case? Yes, you will lose your due, your due diligence. That does right. fall. That is incumbent on you. If you can't, if you go in with your offer and with big guns that you can't follow up on, then yeah, you're going to lose your 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 due diligence fee for sure. I mean, I kind of agree with that. Go ahead. If you run this thing all the way up to the day of closing and then you can't get your financing done and you're outside the due diligence period, you're losing your due diligence and your earnest money. So got to mm-hmm. keep that in mind too is... You don't have this fail safe at the very end of, well, the loan wouldn't go through, so I get all my money back. Um, that's not how it works here. Is there a final walkthrough? Yes. Yeah. You're entitled Can to a I final get out? walkthrough. Can I get out on final walkthrough? Let's say there was a, a flood, but between now and the last time I saw the house, can I get out on final walkthrough? Oh, great question. So there is verbiage in the contract that what you go under contract on, that is what you are purchasing. And so if there is a material change in the property, that would be a breach of contract on the seller. So if there was a flood, um, yes, you would be entitled to get your earnest money and your due diligence back. 
Um, but just from a final walkthrough going, um, like a typical final walkthrough, you're not going to be able to get out of a contract. Right. It's not, it's not because there's dust in the corner. It would need to be like that. The, the kitchen sink is falling through the floor or something like that. Right. It's Which gonna it need wasn't to be the, when I first got the contract. Correct. Right. And now you've got to be able to prove that. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have an attorney involved. That would be very uncommon, but I'm just getting way in the weeds there. Um, uh, anything else on, well, there are no contingencies. So let's move uh, now. Let's let the Bob's time, time to sh- shine. Let's, uh, Let's cover the inspection process in the contract, and then we'll get a speech here from uh, Bob. Um, so, guys, uh, how many days do I get an inspection period, uh, Joe? Um, uh, how long do I have to negotiate the inspection? All that kind of stuff as far as the contract is concerned. Yeah, so typical contract's going to be 30 to 45 days. Um, we normally are putting in a two- to three-week inspection. Um, we try to get our appraisals in at that time as well. And so that's typical. Um, but again, it's it's specific to the contract and it's negotiable. And so Meg, is that common in your area? We actually have, I feel like our our due diligence period is more like four weeks here. Um, and once you get out of contract, the first two things we're going to do is we're going to notify that uh, lender and say, get that appraisal ordered. Um, inspection is going to be the second thing. Um, and we're going to we're going to get a, a professional in there. Even if you're buying a house as is, I'm still going to recommend that you get that house inspected so that you know exactly you want those things that might be issues later identified. So I'm going to encourage even my folks who are buying a house as is, which you will find some of those here. Um, I'm still going to encourage them to get that inspection done. Um, but we we typically have about 30 days um, here, and then we add another, you know, 15 at the end of that to get, you know, just to get all of the final paperwork in order with your lender and closing attorney gets the make sure that the deed is clear, title's clear. Okay, and then at this point we are uh, in our inspection process, I, su- I suppose, and it's time to call home inspector uh, Joe and, and Meg. Of course, are going to have good uh, uh, referrals for for excellent. Uh, folks. And Bob happens to be one of them. So Bob, I'm under contract. I'm coming to you. I'm nervous. I'm scared. I live in a different state. Uh, what can you do to help me? And, and uh, what can I do to make your life easier? You can just give us a speech on uh, on your whole gig. Well, the big thing is that you're in another state. Um, something else that we have to be concerned with is uh, the condition of the house in a coastal area where we're at is often different than a house inland. Um, what we try to do is make sure that we um, locate any issue that may be unseen. Um, a lot of times the owner of the home only visits it uh, a few times a year. And, and when they do visit it, they, they don't really look at the house. They look at the beach. So they are not aware of what's going on in the home. Uh, plus, with the non-owner occupied house, it, it sits a long time in the winter during the off season and and things can happen then that go unnoticed. So what we try to do is identify those issues and then we try to um, help them understand what are what's typical in a in a beach home and, and what's unusual in a beach home and and what could cause uh, a major repair down the line. Are there any mistakes that you see clients, uh, your clients make on a regular basis that you would w- wish to address? <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, in other words, there's something that every, a lot of clients do over and over that kind of annoys you or something like that, that I can prevent. Well, I, 
I don't get annoyed easily, but what I do find is uh, sometimes the clients either uh, don't understand the severity of something or they make something into a much bigger deal um, than it is. We have products um, that we use here at the beach that are very well respected and they perform wonderfully in Ohio. But here uh, at the beach, those are their things that uh, have different conditions, different exposure to the elements. And uh, sometimes they just don't understand that. They, they, they look at the name brand and its reputation and they don't listen to us. Um, which is, you know, they're, they're, they're buying, it's an emotional purchase. They're buying the dream. They're buying the beach house. And, and sometimes they, uh, you know, they just don't listen. And that, that's what bothers, uh, bothers me the most is because they're setting themselves up for a problem. Um, the, the, uh, the clients that blow things out of proportion are also, uh, you know, a little nerve wracking. Some people will see a handful of light bulbs out and they think the house needs to be torn down. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, we, we, it's a balance for us. Oh boy. Oh man. Um, so, uh, w- what would you say? Let's talk, uh, uh your day to day, you know, life. Um, are there, uh, how long does an HVAC last, uh, in your professional opinion? Obviously there's useful life and things like that, but, um, uh, you know, compared to an inland HVAC and take it one step further, are there brands that you see that last longer than others? I think the big thing with, uh, the lifespan of the HVAC is the location. Um, I live in the middle of Hatteras Island, the maritime forest. It actually acts like a filter and protects it. Um, my HVACs last 15 to 20 years. Um, there are places that are oceanfront where you're lucky to get uh, five years max out of the system and, and everything in between. It all depends on your proximity to the salt water. Um, we, we find that that proximity and maintenance are the, the two biggest things um, that, that dictate the lifespan. Some of the units... Um, do seem to uh, to rust more. more. It, it, when I say they last, it's it's all corrosion um, that we're dealing with. It's it's the uh, heat pumps that go bad, uh, and and you know some of them they just they don't seem to hold up very well. Uh, you know some of them do. We find uh, that train units or uh, international comfort products. Um, which is also known as comfort maker. They, they seem to hold up pretty well. Um, but the big thing though is maintenance. Uh, most people never rinse their coils. They never do anything to them and uh, it accelerates that, that corrosion process. Mm. What are we seeing for foundations? Just cause I'm, uh, I love this subject as inspections in general. Uh, I w- I mean, a lot of peers I would imagine. And, and do you see uh, a thing, things that go bad on these homes repeatedly, that kind of stuff. Yes, we are, are probably 90, 95% uh, pilings um, and, and, and just a handful of, of masonry. Um, the masonry though, we do have to check pretty carefully because there's not a lot of, of, of concrete block. And, and we found places where they, uh, they didn't excavate properly and there was tree roots or some other organic matter below. Um, and as they uh, begin to break down and, and degrade, 
it'll actually leave the, the uh, leave the concrete unsupported, and, and it causes uh, problems. And and I, I think that's just because it's not normal in our area. Um, pilings are are unique. Uh, wood needs air and water to rot. Um, so you'll find that the pilings deep down uh, under the ground really don't have any problems there because there's no air and the pilings up above grade, uh, there's no water because they dry. But right at grade level, the pilings will get soft. Um, and, and there's, it's a common enough thing that I've, I've really thought long and hard about, is there a condition that, you know, accelerates that rot process, and um, I, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Uh, I, I had one uh, client that the the property was on a, on a pretty steep grade, so they had very very good drainage. And I was finishing the inspection up, and I chatted with the person. I said, you know, uh, the last thing I've got to do is check the pilings, and uh, that shouldn't be a problem with this house because uh, of the, the drainage. And, and as I said that, I turned around and I used my probe that we, we uh, push about eight inches underneath the ground and, and it went completely through the piling. Um, and, and it was just 100% proved to myself wrong. I had never seen that before. Um, so uh, that, that's a big thing. And that's mostly on older homes. Um, especially those older homes that were built on six by sixes, they have a tendency to uh, decay much faster than the eight by eights. Are you seeing some piles be uh, being switched to concrete um, as opposed to wood? It would be wonderful, but no, that has not been um, really brought in in our uh, our area. And th there are companies that make um, repair products, uh, a PVC sleeve that goes over the piling and then is filled with an epoxy type concrete or another, uh, you know, fortified concrete. And that's wonderful because it will uh, not only support the damaged piling, but it'll also prevent it from ever happening again. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, here it, it just has not um, taken off or, or it's not something that's been done Frequently, usually they'll sister another piling next to the damaged piling and bolt it together. Okay. Um, yep. Yeah, because I live, we live in, I'm in Florida primarily. And we're seeing a lot of concrete, like recently um, in the last really like couple, three years. Um, and, uh, and it seems like that would be beneficial. What happens if a wood piling uh, goes bad? Can I raise uh, can I raise it out of there and put a new one fairly easily or is this a, I mean I know this is not your level of expertise here, you're not a contractor, but um do you have experience with what that would look like if I've got a rotted piling? Yes, uh, I am a licensed general contractor oh. and uh I I had a, a construction and uh and maintenance company here on Hatteras for about 16 years. So I've dealt with it frequently. And it all depends on the placement. If the piling's on the perimeter of a deck, it's very easy to build a temporary structure to support the deck and you can completely remove the piling. But if you've got a, a piling that is, um, you know, in the center of, the, of a home, especially when the home doesn't have a lot of elevation, um, you know, the, the underneath it, 
you know, you've got a, a two or three foot crawl space and you, and you've got a piling in the, in the center of that house. Uh, it's very difficult uh, to remove okay. or, or even reinforce. What's let's, uh, let's talk roofs. Uh, uh, what do they, what do they typically look like? How long do you see them last? And do, are there specific issues that repeat themselves? Well, generally the roofs are, are, um, they really take a beating down here. We've got a lot of very strong winds and we've got a lot of uh, heavy rain. Um, where the publicized storms, the named storms that come in um, can do quite a bit of damage to them. But in reality, it's just the daily um, strong winds and, and rain that that uh, will eventually uh, you know, cause the roof to, to age. And we find a, a 50 year roof here, you're going to get 25 to 30 years um, max out of it. Uh, they, they, when you're on the uh, unprotected areas, uh, like closer to the, to the ocean and, and beach, you'll, you'll have a lot of shingles that, uh, that get blown off occasionally and repaired. So in the mainland, if you see a repaired roof, it's a big red flag. But here it's not because we know what the elements do and it's not uncommon for it to happen. Let's talk about the logistics uh, of hiring you. Uh, I guess first, uh, m most people probably want to know how much would you cost for, say, maybe a 2,500 square foot house, that kind of thing? Yes. Um, because all of our clients are, are, you know, not all of them, but the majority of them are, are not anywhere near us. Um, we've got a program that we use called HomeGage, and it makes it very easy for us to um, complete the, the, they can electronically sign uh, the North Carolina Home Inspector Standard of Agreement uh, of uh, practice. And, and that's a list of items that a home inspector must include in their, um, in their inspection report. And then what we try to do when we do the report it, it is keep it in layman's terms. We're not trying to impress anybody with our vocabulary and uh, clearly document um, the problems. So it's usually pretty easy uh, for us to set up a report and um, get it done and then follow up with the clients if they have questions. Okay, wonderful. Well, listen, Bob, a good a home inspector is hard to find and invaluable. So we appreciate your time. Uh, want to thank you for being here. And uh, Bob, before you go, uh, what's the name of your company, and uh, how do we how do we get a hold of you there in Outer Banks? Yes, yeah, so our company name is OBX Inspector. Um, our website is obxinspector.com, uh, and there's a link to uh, to email us directly. Um, our email is easy to is obxinspector at yahoo.com. Uh, we encourage people to uh, to do some some research on their inspector. Um, don't just take it for granted. Um, we always encourage people to uh, Google us because if you Google OBX inspector, you'll find that we have almost 500 five-star reviews. So uh, there's nobody that even comes close in our market. I can't imagine even in a larger town to have 500 reviews is a huge deal. Huge deal. Yeah, we're very uh, fortunate. Bob says, Google me, baby. And uh, and uh, we, we appreciate your time, Bob. Thank you so much for for coming to see us. Thank you so much. Um, okay. Have a great day. We'll see you soon.
All right. All right. Bob's wonderful. Um, all right. Let's continue on with the, uh, the real estate professional uh, agents here, uh, professional real estate agents. And uh, let's move to uh, acting in good faith. As far as clients are concerned, uh, any comments on that subject? Very important. Always be acting in good faith. Uh, we are huge proponents of that, um, especially here at the shop. But uh, one thing that you just want to keep in mind is that if we're putting an offer on a property that we're not throwing in tons of offers on multiple different properties all at the same time and just uh, pray and spray and hoping to see if one of them sticks. But um, that's the the thing to keep in mind is that in North Carolina, we've got due diligence. And so if you're making offers with due diligence them and they get accepted, like you're still on the hook for that money. And so um, we honestly, we don't have, I don't have a lot of clients that do that because um, they're not willing to lose multiple due diligence fees if they had multiple go under contract. And so Meg, do you see something similar? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We, I, I think it's, um, I think there's another agent at the short-term shop who kind of coined the phrase, we're going to ride one horse at a time. Like we're not going to, you know, like let's, let's commit, stick with one and let's put all of our energy into this space and focus and get, get to that closing. Well, there's an exception. If you're looking to buy, actually close more than one deal at a time, then let it rip. But I think what they're asking, they're saying is, you know, uh, spray and pray, if you will, like, a. Uh, like Joe was mentioning, um, uh, let's go appraisals. Uh, are you seeing appraisals come in right now? Uh, uh, are they coming in low? Are they coming in high? Where, I mean, uh, again, the market changes constantly, but what are your thoughts? Um, Joe? I'm seeing really good appraisals. Um, recently I'm actually having appraisals come in over value because, um, in the, like you mentioned, the market's been moving back and forth. It's just been a crazy three years, um, especially to be buying short-term rentals. But right now, I mean, I'm getting a lot of um, price reductions. I'm getting a good bit of closing costs and things like that on a lot of our properties. And so, I mean, I had one appraise um, for my last closing, a good $75,000 over our um, offer price. And so um, appraisals have been really good recently. Meg, if an appraisal comes in low, are uh, the sellers uh, being, you know, are they negotiating or uh, are they not being cool? Uh, so I've actually only in my career had one property come in under, uh, oh. come in under. So I've been extremely fortunate. My clients have been fortunate. Um, I, and I will say that the one that came in under the offer price, um, was, I believe an error made on the appraiser who was not local. Mm. So I will, I, I do want to throw in there that, you know, our, our local appraisers are going to first work with our local banks. Um, they don't take the outside lenders um, is quickly. And so they often those outside lenders have to go inland, either from Raleigh or Virginia to bring people in to do them. And they really just they don't understand the value of these properties like our local appraisers do. So um, I've been really, really fortunate in that that we've had some really great appraisals come through and that instant equity for that buyer. Um, I mean, that's it's a really wonderful thing to have. Joe, if I uh, if it doesn't appraise, can I get out of it? You cannot. So we don't have appraisal gap addendums. Now you can back out of the contract for any reason, but you're going to lose that due diligence money. So yeah, you can get out of it, but um, it is going to hurt a little bit. And so if that's the property where- doesn't appraise, I can't get out. I have to either pay the difference in the appraisal in the in the contract price or lose my due diligence money. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Okay, now now North Carolina, I'm a little annoyed, but uh... so and I'm gonna I'm gonna take that one step further. 
Um, a lot, many agents here, the, the list agents, they actually want to see proof of funds with your offer. If you do go, if there's a, you know, significant, if you're coming in significantly higher than what the asking price is, they want to make sure that you can cover that gap if it does not appraise. Mm. So they not, they don't just want to see a pre-approval or pre-qualification letter. They actually want to see proof of funds mm. along with I that offer. I have to imagine. The days of offering uh, too much, or, or not too much, but over asking and needing to prove that you can pay over asking. Are we seeing the end of that here, Joe, or uh, is it still going on? It depends on the property and the price point, but it's rarer and rarer now. And so if it's perfect turnkey, the nicest property since sliced bread, yeah, I'm seeing multiple offers. But most of the properties that I'm seeing right now, again, we're, we're in price reductions and we're in closing costs. And so this was a problem for us in the like heat of COVID. Like we're, we had agents that were requiring us to show bank statements with the additional funds plus the down payment. Um, but we don't have that um, as much anymore. Okay. And very interesting. Now, uh, one more thing on the final walkthrough. Um, we already mentioned that you, can't get out unless the place burned down since the since you went under contract, right? But um, we do want to still recommend that folks come down for the final walkthrough, yes. And if not, then maybe they rehire Bob or a home inspector if, to go check on it for them. How do you handle how, – how, what's the best way for a buyer to handle a final walkthrough? 100% go back to your uh, inspector of uh, being like, hey, like we want to do a final walkthrough. Um, you did this for us originally. Um, most of our inspectors will tack that on for an additional fee and um, come through and do your final walkthrough for you if you can't get here. 100%, you should be working to walk, do your final walkthrough yes. in person. Um, I can't reiterate that enough. Um, but yes, that is 100% the best way to do it. Sometimes we get carried away and, and because I, I personally have very little problem buying a house that I haven't seen, but I've done it a million times. Now, if you're new, man, I can't tell you how important it is. You got to get down there. So that's something we definitely want to reiterate, get to the home. i um, get there as many times as you can, if, if at all possible, um, gotta be there, man. It's a lot of money on the line. So, um, anything we missed, anything we missed, uh, I think we've covered, we've, we've done it all. We've said it all. Anything you guys want to, um, recap or, uh, Gosh, it, it sounds like a lot, but, um, that's why you got to have people who have a lot of reps doing it. And so, um, Meg is incredible. If you're looking in the Outer Banks, um, would love to work with you if you're looking in uh, Atlantic Beach, the Ocean Isle, but it um, is what we do every day. So don't get overwhelmed. That's right. Uh, agents at the shop.com, Joe at the shop.com, Meg at the shop.com, Luke at the shop.com, and the shop.com. Uh, thank you for hanging with us. Uh, we love you, and uh, we'll see you soon. <laughs>